through verse 27. As we read, remember we have before us the inerrant word of God and it has authority over our lives. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied with them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up, and his foul odor will rise, because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the former rain faithfully, and He will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the later rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine, wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locustus has eaten, the crawling locustus, the consuming locustus, and the chewing locustus, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray now. Lord grant us. That what your prophet teaches may penetrate into our hearts and be like a sounding trumpet. That we may be sincerely made humble and thankful before you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. The largest treasure ever found is called the treasure of San Jose. This Spanish ship that sank off the coast of Colombia in 1708 during a battle with British ships. The wreckage of that boat or their ship was discovered in 2015 and it had 
an estimated value of around 17 billion of US dollars inside that ship. A lot of gold and precious stones were found. Now, have you ever imagined the idea of instant wealth? That's what the founders of this ship, they had. Instantly, they became billionaires. Can you imagine how many things you can buy with this kind of money? I made a calculation for you to have an idea. If you buy houses in the state of Florida in an average price of $300,000, with this kind of money, you could buy 57,000 houses. You could also buy 588 Ford F-150, 150. You could buy 87 Boeings. You could buy 767, I'm sorry, 4.5 billion meals to feed hungry people. And finally, you could buy 1.13 of really good Bibles, 1.13 billion of really good Bibles to give away. It sounds a lot, doesn't it? However, the text that we have before us today offers to us this evening something far better than instant health, wealth. Far better than 17 billion US dollars. What can be better than that? It is the blessing of restoration. It is the blessing that God has reserved to His people. We find ourselves this evening what has been called the center and the heart of the book of Prophet Joel. Where in all the previous verses, Joel, he directs himself to a people that have been sleeping and forgotten about their God. A people who are not repenting. Or people who are worshipping other gods. And God brings judgment upon them. But it is here, in the center in, and in the heart of this book, that we find the blessing of restoration. It's where we find the Lord blessing His people with forgiveness. The, the Lord forgetting their sins. The Lord answering their prayers. And as we come to this passage this evening, I want you to know that the Lord blesses and restores the returning sinner in a glorious way. Christian, your God is very willing to restore you and to bless you every time that you turn to Him. And He is going to do that in a glorious way. So the first point of our sermon this evening is the, bless, is the blessing of restoration. You see, starting on verse 18, we see that the Lord 
He's the cause of the restoration. The Lord is the one who is the Lord, the Yahweh of the covenant. He's the fountain of hope to God's people. We are told right here in verse 18 that He is a God who is zealous for His people. He is a God who upholds the covenant. He's a God who is very faithful to do the things that He has promised to do. The Lord of Scripture, this zealous God, is like a father who looks after his children, who let them go astray sometimes so they can learn from those mistakes, who is always watching over their backs, who is always taking care and caring for his children. That's why the text gives us other information here about this father that we have. It says that he's a father that has pity, that has compassion over his people. Remember the prophet, he had read shown to us on chapter 2, verse 14, that if God's people repent, if they come to him, he would be, he would have compassion and spare them from disaster. And that's exactly what we find happening here in this text. The Lord's compassion never fails, as the prophet Jeremiah put in Lamentations 3.22. So we were faced with this pity, with this compassion that God has for His people. But see that in verse 19, we are told about the, the blessings of this restoration, of these people being restored. And the idea here is that these blessings, they are already in motion. Look or behold, the Lord is, is already sending blessings to, this, to His people. And the first thing that He starts doing as He blesses them is answering their prayers. You see, the prophet Joel, throughout this book, he has something in mind. He has something, he has the promises of God in mind for his people when they turn to him. Remember the, the prayer of the King Solomon. When he prays and he turns to God in his prayer as he's consecrating the temple. And he's praying, saying, God, when your people, they turn to you, when they repent to their sins, restore them, be with them. And that's exactly what's happening here. The prayer of the people is not in vain. God having compassion upon them is not anything new. That's the mode, operant mode of God. He's a God of compassion towards His people. He's also the one who, in verse 19, says that he satisfies their desires. You know, a person can have a lot of money, can have treasures, can have plenty to eat, plenty of money to buy anything that they want. But none of those things can satisfy the soul of 
one of God's children. That's why when we turn to the gospel, when we see Jesus Christ feeding the multitude, what does it say there? That they ate, 5,000 people they ate, and they were satisfied. The Lord is the one who satisfies the soul of His people. The Lord is the one who fulfills their desires, who fulfills their needs. But He's also the one, as, the one as we see at the end of verse 19, who removes our reproach. Who removes the reproach of His people when they come to Him. You see, it would be a big shame for them if this army had come and destroyed them and enslaved them. The other nations, they would look at God's people and mock them. Where is your God now? And they would experience such a shame in that moment. But now the Lord is saying, I'm removing all reproach. You're not going to feel that way anymore. You're not going to be slaves because you have repented. You have turned yourself to me. In verse 20, we see the victory of the restored. You see, the text says that, But I will remove far from you the northern army. Do you remember how Joel he describes this army that was coming against God's people? If you don't remember, look with me on verse 7 and 10. It says that this army is like one that runs like a mighty man. They climb the walls. They are like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break hang, ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they launch between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like teeth. The earthquakes, the earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble. The image that is given to us here over 7 through 10 is the image and the idea of a perfect army that was coming to destroy the nation of Israel. But even this army that is seen so perfect, so well prepared, God is giving them victory over this enemy. He's reversing all the actions. See, it says in the text here that this, the, the, this same army now is experiencing the monstrous things that they brought upon Israel. God is returning the curse. God is paying back and defending His people and bringing disaster upon the same army that he used to bring judgment upon Israel. Now a great question to ask as we go through this text is, what is this army? What kind of army is this? Can we, can, can we know better what this army is? Where is this army coming from? You see, this idea of a northern army coming to terrify God's people is not something unique to the book of Job. Most of the prophets 
they talk about this army. Isaiah, he sees an army from the north, terrifying Jews and Gentiles alike in Isaiah 14, verse 31. Zephaniah saw Yahweh stretching out his hand against Assyria in the north on the day of the Lord, giving us a certain clue that this army, it is the army coming from the northern nation of Assyria. The book of Zechariah describes this army and describes the captives that this army brought into Babylon as dwelling in the land of the north. So even the Babylonian kingdom is identified with this army, which has brought many interpreters of the Bible, many scholars to debate a lot and trying to find out which army is Joe talking about. But there is a certain of consensus, a certain of agreement that some people they understand this army being referring to the Assyrian kingdom coming the times of Hezekiah. Remember as Sennacherib comes in 2 King 19 and they and they threat Jerusalem and they and they and they close the doors and they and they struck and they are there at the doors of Jerusalem threatening the people. The king prays and the Lord he sends his angel and 180,000 people they die on that day. Now what happens when that many people they die? There is an odor, there's a smell that goes on the air. People, they can smell that death far away. And that's exactly the idea here that we find in this text on verse 20. This death being brought next to God's people. Not their own death, but the death of this army. Because they had done monstrous things against God's people. Now, Christian, I want you to look at this text this evening. And look over again. I want you to see and look how God's covenantal promises and blessings are found in this text. You see, we find here the blessings that are reserved only for God's people. The blessing of restoration. The blessing of satisfaction. The blessing of God. Fulfilling our desires and helping us and giving us His grace. The blessing of God removing the guilt. The blessing of being encouraged to pray and confessing our sins. Because we know that we have a God who is very willing to forgive the sins of His people. How clear it is from this text that God, He upholds. His covenant, and that He's ever, ever, ever faithful to His people. We also find in this text something that's very important for us this evening. is this idea of satisfaction in life, of contentment and peace of spirit, of blessing for those who are in Christ. You know, sometimes we are so anxious 
about future. Sometimes we are so desperate because we can't find satisfaction in the things of this world. But this text points to us that God has a blessing for your heart, Christian. And that blessing can only be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one who satisfies our hearts. He's the one who generally bestows upon us blessings beyond of all our expectations. We can only have that satisfaction in Christ. This first part of this sermon as well showed to us that the destruction of this army, this enemy, this army that the, the text tells us that people when they, they looked at this army coming, their faces, they drained and their call of their faces changing terror as they saw this army. And as we think about this army and we think ourselves in our worst enemy, which is death, this text cannot, cannot make more clear that even our, our worst enemy cannot destroy the person who turns himself to Christ in repentance and faith. The army that was perfect, the army that nobody thought that could be destroyed, was destroyed by God's power. The worst enemy of God's people, God brought judgment upon them. In the same way, Christian, you need to know this. Your worst enemy, death itself, sin itself, has been overcome by your Savior. And is available, this blessing is available to all who come to Christ in repentance and faith. We also find in this text, not only the blessings of restoration, but we find our second point, the way of restoration. We see that on verse 22 through verse 23. You see on verse 21, the people of God are told, Fear not, O lands. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. You see, the people there are commanded not to fear, because Yahweh Himself has redeemed them. Yahweh Himself has shown care for His people. We're told that the Lord is doing marvelous things for them. Even to the point that the beasts, animals, the plants, all the environment, they're experiencing the redemption that God is bringing upon His people on this passage. God is restoring all things. You see, the redemption that God has for His people, for humanity, is a redemption that brings uh, a restoration to all creation. Not only to God's people. And we see this happening here in this passage. You see the people, they're restored. They are identified in a way that we don't find this they're before. They're identified as the children of Zion. Remember, Zion is this holy mountain of God. It's the place where people, they go to meet with God in the Old Testament. It's the place where God, He stands and he meets with his people. And now these people, they are, 
they're identified with Zion as if the Lord is saying, you are mine, you are my children, you belong to me. And we are told two times here, verse 21 and 23, that the way of restoration is a way of gladness and rejoice. It's a way where people, they look upon the blessings of God and be constrained to praise Him. The way of restoration is in the Lord, not in the things that the Lord is giving to them. Very different from our days, isn't it? From this idea that we should rejoice in the blessings that we receive from God instead of rejoicing in the one who blesses His people. So we rejoice and the people of God is glad in the Lord because the Lord is the cause of our restoration. And in the end of verse 23, we find ourselves what is known as the hardest part of this book. All the chapters of this book, from all the verses, we find ourselves on verse 23, which is known as the hardest part to understand of this book. Why is that so? Because the book talks about the rain, the former rain, and the later rain, and the rain that's faithfully. And some have translated this word, and they can be translated this word rain as teacher or as throwing something. So because the same word can be translated in three different ways, many people, they have raised the question, isn't this text talking about the Messiah itself, the teacher of faithfulness or the teacher of Righteousness, as this word faithfully can also be translated. Many have debated. Calvin, he denies this idea. John Calvin, or the modern scholars, they, they have claimed that this is a clear teaching about the Messiah coming. A promise that the Messiah, the teacher of righteousness, will come to bless his people. Now, where do we find this idea of a teacher of righteousness? Another prophet, Hosea, in chapter 10, verse 12, he talks about the teacher of righteousness. A teacher that would come and, and teach God's people his, his law, His command. He would restore Israel. But how can, we, how can we understand this? I think that a good way to grasp the, the meaning of this text is found again. As again, as I, again, I think that, that the prophet Joel, he has the prayer in 1 King 8, the prayer of the King Solomon in the background as he's writing this prophecy. So keep your finger here in this text and open with me in 1 King 8, verse 35. First Kings 8, verse 35. Again, Solomon, he's praying, he's consecrated the temple, he's asking the Lord for blessings, he's asking the Lord to bless foreigners when they come and pray to him. He's asking 
blessings upon God's people when um, they they repent. And in First King, chapter eight thirty five, we we read, and when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them. And this word here translated as teach is the same word that we find in our passage in the Hebrew language, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk. And then, and look what comes next, and then send rain on your land, which you have given them to your people as an inheritance. And you see, that's exactly the, a similar idea here in this text. For he has given you a teacher of righteousness, and he will cause to rain. The teacher comes first, the rain comes later, the spiritual blessing comes first, the material blessing comes after. And if there is really a hint in the Messiah in this text, it makes a lot of sense because in verse 28, what we find there? We find the promise of the Pentecost, of the Spirit of God coming upon His people. So the Messiah comes first, the Spirit of God comes later. And for me, that's the best way to understand this text. But you see, Christian, because of what the Lord does in, repent, in response to repentance, we need to look at this text and rejoice. Believer, as you struggle with sin, there are people in church struggling with sin right now. There are people in churches that they struggle with sins of their past. There are ladies at church that they struggle with sin of abortion. And sometimes those sins, they bring depression. Sometimes those sins, they destroy their lives. But we are to look to a text like this. And see how God is faithful. He has forgiven you. He has given you a new life. He has been faithful to His covenant. We don't need to assume that God is not forgiving because He is forgiving. Believe and never assume that complete restoration is too good to be true. Don't live your life in fear and let guilt control you. You need to look to this text and rejoice entirely over the Lord's capacity to forgive all of your sins when you turn to Him. The way of restoration is the way of the Lord. Yahweh is Himself is coming to redeem His people. Yahweh Himself, He came and redeemed you. He gave His life for you. He suffered for you. He was resurrected for you. In you, His name is glorified. In His work, the Lord is glorified in His life. Jesus. Jesus is the way of restoration. Jesus is the way of rest. Jesus is the one who satisfies the soul.
But see, between verse 25 and verse 27, we find this glorious restoration. The grace of the Lord will do more than we can even imagine. You see, in verse 25 comes this, the prophet saying, So I will restore you to the ears that the swarming locusts has eaten. This word here, to restore, is the Hebrew word that's very well known to us, the shalom, which is idea that bring, which brings this idea of restoration. But most than that, it brings the idea of fullness. God is going to restore you in such a glorious way that you will experience what it means, fullness in God. So the restoration is a restoration of the locust's ears. All that time of suffering, all that time where they could not have food to eat, they they didn't have the joy to worship the Lord. When God, He comes to restore His people, He always brings joy. He wipes away every tear from their eyes. He gives them something that's much better than they could ever imagine. The great disaster that the prophet prophesied against God's people is reversed. The loss will be, will be swallowed up in the superabundant blessings of the Lord upon his people as we see here through, through verse 25 and verse 27. The Lord will do such a miracle that we are told in verse 26, you shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. The magnitude of this restoration will be a restoration that will constrain people to glorify God. They will not be able not to not, not, not glorify Him. They will not be able to see the miracles of God, the blessings that they are receiving from God, how God has been changing their lives and not praising His name. And the glorious restoration is going to be a, a restoration that will remove, as we read in verse 26, all the shame. It's a text, it's, it's a shame that all the temporal blessings that they are going to receive, they will be upon them. They will, be, they will, they will remove the shame over their heads. But this text also talks about another shame that's going to go away. It refers to the spiritual blessings flowing from the presence of God to His people. The shame that they would escape was their perception that God had abandoned them. And that they need to flee to other lands to find food. God is going to remove all that perception. And finally, there's a promise here in verse 27. 
is the promise that God will be in the midst of Israel. Because he says, I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. The proof that there is no other God is because there is only one God remained among Israel. There is only one God who is to be worshipped. I am the Lord God, says the Lord. And this God, He has dwelt among His people, hasn't He? The Word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's the all the tabernacle of God that dwelt among us. His God, Jesus Christ, is God's presence. Is this prophecy being fulfilled 2,000 years ago? He is the God in the midst of His people. He's the one that in the finally, final time will renew all the earth. He will restore all things. And as Revelation 21, 3 says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. It is for this glorious restoration. It is this glorious restoration this most victorious restoration that all believers they hope for, all believers they are hoping for on this moment. We want to see this prophecy being fulfilled among us. We want to see Christ in our midst. We want to see the tabernacle of God with men. This prophecy of Joel is a prophecy that's very applicable to us this evening as we also have the same expectation of restoration you see this passage speaks first to the believing community that has straight remember the Lord is always bringing judgment upon his house first and you see believer you are the one who needs to repent. You are the one who needs to return to God in every situation of your life. Repentancy, repent is the way that God he brings revival. It's when people repent of their sins. When we return to the Lord in humility. In that way the Lord he receives us. And give us all His blessing. A blessing that is better than all the treasures of this world. Better than 17, 100 billions of dollars. Billion of dollars. You see the greatest and the glorious way of the Lord and blessing that we have. Is that the Lord, He blesses and restores the returning sinner in a glorious way. And we can be sure of that. That the Lord is always going to have compassion towards His people when we turn to Him in repentance. Let us pray now. Lord, we pray and we acknowledge, O Lord, that we are a people that need to repent.
We are, O oh Lord, the people who sometimes are sleeping, who sometimes, O oh Lord, are in a drunken mode. We forgot about, we forget about your blessings. We forget, O oh Lord, about the way of Jesus, what Jesus has taught us. And Lord, this evening, as we, O oh Lord, we see this passage in this prophecy of the prophet Joel. Oh Lord, we ask you that you would give us a heart who is very willing to repent. A heart that is very willing to praise you for the blessings that we receive from you. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand that that's a glorious thing to have a God who has compassion. A God who upholds the covenant. A God who is a father and treat us, O oh Lord, with compassion. Help us, O oh Lord, to turn to you, O oh Lord, every time that we sin. Help us, O oh Lord, to trust and to rest in the knowledge that you, O oh Lord, is a teacher of righteousness. A one who gives us assurance that when you forgive, O oh Lord, all our sins are brushed away from you. O oh Lord, we pray that you bless us, O oh Lord, with your word this evening. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let us now continue our worship of God, even as we prepare our hearts.